Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Are we drilling enough for oil? Apparently not, given the price. That is what we'll talk about here today in the first part of the podcast. Remember that we kick off Drilling Deep by talking about the oil market. And since you have to drill for oil, well, that's why we named the show what it was. Our guest of the week is Todd Fowler of KeyBank. He's the head of the transportation research group there. He'll be here in a few minutes to speak about the third quarter, the earnings from that period, and how trucking companies performed. I mentioned this last week, too, but there are some signs that oil markets may have peaked. The price overall is down a little bit, down to steady uh, in the past seven days. One of the most encouraging statistics from the perspective of a diesel consumer is that the price of natural gas, as I record this podcast, is down about 90 cents per thousand cubic feet from where it was a week ago. That's close to a 20 percent decline. As I've mentioned, this is particularly important to diesel users because the high price of natural gas has led to fuel switching away from natural gas in some instances, and the fuel switching goes over to oil. Sometimes that switch is to a heavier grade of oil products known as fuel oil, but often it is to diesel. So a big drop in natural gas prices is a positive for oil consumers. But that's a relatively small part of the equation. More important, as it always will be, will be supply and demand. As I record this, we're just a few hours after OPEC put out its monthly report on the state of the oil market. Don't be misled into thinking that because it is, it is an OPEC report that the numbers are somewhat unreliable. They've got solid analysts working for them there in Vienna. That is the site of the OPEC headquarters. The latest OPEC report sees demand starting to weaken. It cut its estimate on the size of global demand this year, global demand growth this year, by 160,000 barrels per day. That's a pretty big number. Of course, the demand cut is driven mostly by the market reacting to higher prices, particularly in China and India. So a drop for that reason is always going to be a bit of a double-edged sword. Looking forward, you know, we try not to do too many numbers here on Drilling Deep because listening to a lot of them on a podcast can be very confusing. So let's go through some of them one by one. In the fourth quarter, that's the quarter we're in, and this, these are all global figures, OPEC estimates that demand for its crude will be a little over 29.5 million barrels per day. The problem is that OPEC says its members produced less than 27.5 million barrels per day in October, so a pretty big gap between what was needed and what was produced. As S&P Global Platts summed up the imbalance in some reporting on it, even with OPEC planning to hike production in concert with Russia and eight other allies by a combined 400,000 barrels a day each month, the volumes would not be enough to satisfy global demand with the U.S., Japan, and India among consuming countries complaining for the group to release more supplies. But it's important to note that there is almost always a big imbalance between supply and demand in the fourth quarter. Demand rises at, as inventories are built in anticipation of winter. What's going on now is relatively normal. But let's look into 2021. OPEC said in the first quarter, demand is going to drop about 750,000 barrels per day from where it was in the fourth quarter. And with that, what OPEC is producing now will meet what is known as the call, which is the forecast for the amount of OPEC oil that is needed to be placed on the market. That's likely one of the reasons why the Biden administration's call for more oil, OPEC oil is not getting anywhere. OPEC is looking at the numbers and says that, yes, oil is in tight supply now, but if it keeps doing what it is doing and puts 400,000 barrels per day of oil onto the market this month and in December, the squeeze actually might ease going into the first quarter. That's not going to help with anything now. And so we had the spectacle this week of a group of senators who have been known to be very hostile to the oil market, including Elizabeth Warren. I shouldn't say the oil market, oil companies, including Elizabeth Warren, putting out a letter that calls for the Biden administration to do something 
to ease oil prices. One of the things they suggested is to possibly ban crude exports from the U.S. Let's note that crude has only been allowed to be exported from the U.S. since early 2016. If crude exports are banned, this is going to accomplish absolutely nothing. When U.S. crude exports were banned before the start of 2016, there is not a single data point that you can find that will show that gasoline or diesel prices were significantly less in the U.S. than in the rest of the world. You can ban crude oil exports if you want, but the U.S. will always both import and export gasoline and diesel. The reasons are complicated, but let's just say that it's a big country, and sometimes it's easier to ship excess product abroad than elsewhere in the U.S., and some of the products that come out of U.S. refineries are really not needed here. For example, we really produce more diesel than we need, so some of it's going to be exported to South America or to Europe. Meanwhile, Europe makes more gasoline than they need, and so they send it here. And once you've got that in place, it means that U.S. gasoline and diesel prices will always be in line with the rest of the world. The retail price could be very different, but that's usually based on taxation. The wholesale price is not going to vary that much. There is no way that the U.S. oil market can be walled off from the rest of the world, which is what a ban on crude oil exports tries to do. But what that ban could do is reduce the incentive to produce the light grades of crude oil that have found better markets in other parts of the world other parts of the world, because U.S. refineries are just not set up to process them. If that happens and you get a reduction in output, that puts upward pressure, pressure on prices worldwide. It's a self-defeating exercise, but I understand it seems so attractive. Just beware of false profits. And it's time for us to switch gear and bring in our guest of the week, Twice a year, we do bring in Todd Fowler to join me here on Drilling Deep. It's pretty much like clockwork, May and November, and we bring him in because he's the lead transportation analyst at KeyBank, and he follows all the major transportation companies out of his office and home in Cleveland. So it's November, earnings season is done, and we've got Todd to join us. Todd, thanks for joining us for joining us on your biennial, or is it semi-annual, I guess, semi-annual uh, visit here to Drilling Deep. John, thanks. It's great to be here. It's it's hard to believe it's already November uh, and we're through third quarter earnings. It seems like this was just a couple of weeks. It seems like it was uh, uh, biannual that we were doing this just, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but here we are looking at the end of the year already. Well, I guess that means the next time, if it comes soon, it'll be spring. So that's good. So <laughs> when I looked over those third quarter earnings, what, what jumped out at me on the, particularly on the truckload companies is the divergence. You had, you know, some of the smaller carriers like PAM and Heartland, they both clocked in with ORs below 80. And then you had other truckload carriers that were in the usual 90 to 95 range. And I just can't help but wonder, how do companies that are providing the same basic service get such crazily different numbers? Yeah, you know, John, it's an interesting question because, you know, we do think about the market as being relatively homogeneous, you know, uh, a truck's a truck's a truck. Um, but really what a lot of it comes down to, and we've seen this, you know, not just in the third quarter, but over a long period of time. Uh, for a commodity-based business, you know, cost management really matters. And so some of the companies that, you know, run uh, with with lower ORs typically do a much better job uh, on the cost side, uh, more focused on, you know, the uh, the, the ways that they can lower the cost to serve um, because the rates really can be market set. I mean, so that's, that's a big component of it. Um, but at the same time too, there are things, you know, freight mix, lane density, all of those things, you know, really kind of come together um, how you've positioned your network. Um, but it, it, it always is one of those things where, you know, everybody's kind of swimming with the same current and, and some people are obviously able to, uh, to swim a little bit faster based on how, you know, they run the business and how they manage the shop. 
All right, so let's talk about costs. What was the overall impact from higher labor costs? I was, I think it was Werner I was looking at, uh, and they actually broke out that uh, salary, you know, they put it as salaries, wages, compensation. That's what everybody describes it as, um, as a percent of revenue. And it had barely budged over the last year or so, which I thought was really, uh, really, in, 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 I mean, that's, that struck me as, as having your costs under control, that you kept those labor costs, which we know are rising, as a percentage of your overall revenues. That really struck me as impressive. Yeah. So, well, what's interesting is, you know, there's a couple of ways that the, the costs in the quarter, you know, really manifested themselves. And certainly looking at salaries and wages is is one area to see it. And we do know that there has been uh, wage inflation, which which is obviously a good thing. You know, we need to uh, you know pay up to attract and retain drivers within the industry and, and probably some catch up pay that's been happening. Uh, but that said, you know, I think a lot of the the pay increases have been a little bit more targeted. And I think we talked about this in the spring where, you know, trucking companies were trying to make sure that the pay increases that they were putting through were going to have the intended impact of, you know, retaining and attracting the drivers in the lanes that they wanted. You know, so we weren't seeing these big all across the board type uh uh, wage increases. And a lot of these things have been being put into place for the past, you know, couple of quarters. And so it's kind of been being built into the numbers. And, and then when you think about it as a percent of revenue, the way, you know, we kind of analyze it and look at it, we've also seen a corresponding increase in revenue because rates have gone up. So we're able to hold those percentages, you know, relatively the same. So the rate increases that the trucking companies are getting, they're passing a portion of that through to the drivers, which we would expect. But the other areas where we have seen the impact of some cost inflation, and maybe it's just not as explicit as coming out, you know, in a certain line item is, and Werner's a good example of this, you know, their utilization was down in the high single digit range during the quarter. And that was a reflection of number one, you know, limited driver availability. um, And so the difficulty in just having drivers, they also had some impact from, uh, you know, the pandemic and, and the Delta variant, which was taking some drivers out of the um, out of the trucks. And so where salaries and wages as a percent of revenue, you know, really kind of held its own or looked OK with what we've seen historically. Um, you know, there were other areas like utilization that might have gotten impacted uh, areas like, you know, purchase transportation or rents to use outside power, you know, might have gone up. And so we certainly are seeing, you know, cost inflation and we're seeing, um, you know, the, the the cost side of the equation be, you know, still still very challenging and something that, you know, all of the companies are working through right now. How do you define utilization? You know, it's, um, not, it's not a line item. So what number do you look at to get that? Yeah, sorry. So when we're talking about utilization, we're looking at the number of miles that they're able to run on their equipment. And and so uh, basically, um, it can be impacted by how many trucks they have in service and then how many trucks they're actually um, or how many miles are getting on their trucks. And so that was a number that was down uh, on a year over year basis, I believe, in the high single digit range. And again, the reflection there was uh, they didn't have drivers um, to seat as many trucks. Uh, so the fleet was down. Um, and then the trucks that they were running, um, they weren't getting as many miles on them. And, and that's, you know, reflection of what we're hearing with just the general congestion. You know, trucks are going into to distribution centers. They're sitting a little bit longer waiting to get them unloaded. And that has an impact on utilization as well. Right. So at that point, it doesn't really matter what you're paying people if you can't get them behind there and uh, behind there to drive the miles. Let's talk about another cost. Of course, the whole goal of the trucking industry is to have diesel as a pass through. You cannot do that with 100 uh, percent perfection. Are we getting to the point that diesel prices are impacting earnings? Yes, they're fuel surcharges, like I said. But, you know, these companies generally tend to report uh, at least the truckload companies, 10 to 12% empty miles. And there's no surcharge for that. You got to pay it. So is it becoming a headwind? 
Yeah, look, I mean, I'd say that on the margin, and, and you've got the math exactly right, I mean, there's going to be a portion that every truckload carrier isn't able to recoup, um, you know, with a surcharge. And that 10 to 15 percent, I think, is a very good ballpark number. So, you know, uh, for that 10 to 15 percent where you're not getting a fuel surcharge, you know, if your fuel price is going up, there will be an impact. And so, you know, the, the simple math and not to get too much into the numbers, but, you know, if diesel prices are up, uh, 20% year over year, and that's 10% of your, your miles that aren't getting recovered, you know, that can be a 200 basis point kind of impact to the margin. And, you know, we certainly didn't see, you know, that level of deterioration from fuel in of itself uh, in the quarter. And, and again, obviously, this was a very strong, you know, rate environment and, and positive pricing, both on the contract side and the spot side can help offset some of these costs. Um, but look, you know, we can go right down the income statement and, you know, we've, we've talked about wages, you know, we've talked about fuel costs, you know, insurance has been an issue now for, for several years. It, it wasn't something that really kind of jumped out, you know, during the earnings period. Uh, but these are all things that are kind of accumulating and, and really that, you know, trucking companies really need to push rates uh, to help offset the cost that they're seeing, you know, kind of across the uh, across the P&L. Now, in a couple of calls that I listened to, speaking of rates, um, you did hear some of the CEOs crowing about their contract renewals, uh, that they liked the numbers that they were getting. Uh, what do you, you, you sat in on more calls than I did, and I'm sure you tracked them all. Where are you seeing those contract renewals coming in at? Yeah, so what's really interesting is in this current environment, I mean, we're, we're certainly hearing, so, so contracts that have been signed here in, in 21 and very recently, so think kind of, you know, midway through the year, which is really where a lot of the, the bidding starts to die down. Uh, you know, we were hearing things that were easily very comfortably in the mid-teens, if not even in the high-teen type level. And you have to think about that as being an average. So, you know, not everybody's signing a rate at that level. Some people might be above that. Some people might be below that. And and really, John, I mean, those are contract rates that even you know, even in the spring, you know, when we were doing this six months ago, I would have said, you know, that those are pretty healthy rates. And so the fact that that was the realization of what we've seen has been very strong. I think to your point, what you picked up on on the conference calls, which was very interesting to us, is typically trucking companies are very hesitant to talk about rates, particularly as you go into 2022, um, where it's right around the corner for us. I mean, it's an eternity, and a lot of things can change, you know, in the freight markets and the ability to secure rates. You know, um, six months from now or nine months from now, there's a lot of variables. Uh, but we heard a lot of conviction um, from carriers that uh, rates could be up, contract rates you know, could be up or should be up in the double digit range again next year in 22. So um, very strong environment right now and a lot of confidence about seeing that sustained going into next year. Had there been enough contract renewals that it was impacting third quarter numbers? Yeah, at this point, you know, we really should see, you know, the heavy bid season happens kind of in the spring and early summer. And the intention there is to reset the contracts so they're in place for the traditional, you know, fall and holiday peak. So at this point, you know, in the third quarter, I would say on average, and again, this is just kind of a ballpark number, most truckload carriers probably had well north of, you know, 80% of their their new rates in place um, during the quarter. You know, there's always going to be a couple of stragglers, but, you know, I would say that the third quarter is probably a pretty good proxy for having the new contracts or the contracts that were, were out to bid in the first part of the year implemented in the rate base in the second part. Now, this is kind of a good news, bad news question, but um, are you seeing companies starting to throw off more free cash flow simply because they can't spend as much on new trucks as maybe they'd like to because the trucks just aren't there to be bought because of the entire uh, problem with building any kind of uh, uh, and, and all the problems that all the OEM manufacturers? 
We, we certainly are. And we, we actually, you know, we, we put out, you know, some, some uh, research on this earlier in the year uh, when we started to see some of the production issues. And there's a couple of things that are driving the free cash generation. You know, number one, to your point earlier, when we start to see better margins, you know, better earnings, you know, that, that you know, throws off more free cash in and of itself. So kind of the improved margins, number one, that helps. And then number two, on the capital side or the equipment side, um, we're seeing two things at play. And the first is, you know, we've seen CapEx expectations come down, not because people don't want to buy trucks. They certainly want to buy trucks. They want to grow their fleets. They want to have young trucks. It's just with the production delays, you can't get trucks right now. So so people are spending less on equipment than what they initially expected when they're making more money. And then the other piece, too, is, and we saw this during the quarter, um, gains on uh, or proceeds from selling uh, used equipment have gone up very substantially. So we saw much higher gains, much higher proceeds from getting rid of your older equipment. And so you kind of put all of that into the, the equation and we are getting very good free cash generation. Now, some of this, you know, we'd call this a little bit of a CapEx holiday. You know, we know that, you know, this lower CapEx, some of this is getting pushed, you know, out into 2022, maybe even into 2023. So we know that there will be a catch-up period. And in theory, we'd kind of smooth and say, okay, we got to look at 21, 22, and 23 maybe combined. But right now, this environment has been very good from a free cash standpoint. So that obviously would mean that if you've got more free cash flow, you presumably the cash position of a lot of companies uh, got healthier. Everyone that I looked at, certainly they were sitting on more cash than they were at the end of 2020. Do you think that suggests more M&A activity or maybe just another round of payment of special dividends? Well, I think it's going to be a little bit of, of all of the above. And, you know, again, I mean, you know, we, we understand that people need to step up and buy equipment. And so we, we, we do expect to see, you know, CapEx, you know, stepping up as we move into 22 and into 23. Um, so some of that will be earmarked for, for, new, for new rolling stock. Um, however, you know, this is an environment where, um, number one, you know, we are seeing a step up in M&A and, you know, people looking for if it's difficult to grow organically because you can't add drivers, uh, you know, maybe it makes sense to go out and look for uh, acquisitions that make sense both within your existing business line. Uh, or you know maybe looking to do something a little bit different, and we haven't seen that so much in the truckload space, but we're seeing that kind of outside of the truckload space, where you know brokerage or some other offerings seem to be you know very attractive, and we're seeing some M and A uh, there. And then yeah, within the truckload space, you know return of capital through special dividends has certainly been um, one of the uh, uses of capital for for you know, these companies for a long period of time. And, and given the balance sheets and kind of the you know availability or places to park their cash, I think that that's something that's very likely. Yeah, so many trucking companies, uh, since I've been covering this for Freightways, you know, paid out these big special dividends. And it's almost like, you know, you, you go to a, a chart, uh, some kind of data service, and you look at the company's yield. And in the trucking business, the yield's always t- terrible. Right? It's, it's almost non-existent. And then you realize that that's not necessarily indicative of the true return, since so many of them will, will return capital to their shareholders via special dividend, which is kind of depressing in some ways because it it indicates that maybe they don't feel they've got any other great opportunities out there to invest in. Yeah. So I'll tell you to your first point, you know, we completely agree with that. And, and even when we talk, you know, with with uh, sophisticated investors, you know, some of their knee-jerk reaction will be, oh, I looked at the stock and it hasn't done anything over five years. And it's like, well, yeah, the stock chart hasn't. But if you look at the amount that they paid out in special dividends and you had that to your total return, you know, you probably have performed in line, maybe you've outperformed the market. So yeah, I would say number one, I mean, it is important to think about that dividend as a as a uh, portion of the total return you're getting in, in investing in some of these some of these equities. 
you know, to the second point on, um, you know, the ability to do other things and kind of reinvest in the business, I guess there's a couple of things. And, and number one, you know, given the cyclicality of the trucking industry, you know, we have these very strong years and then we're followed by kind of more balanced years. You know, that sort of environment does lend itself to special dividends. And, you know, companies that have kind of a very consistent earnings stream, you know, they can pay a, a very steady dividend over time and kind of take that up over time. But given the extreme cyclicality that we can see in the truckload market, so almost like we were talking about with CapEx, sometimes you have to smooth that special dividend and say, okay, you know, the, the big special dividend you got in 21 is maybe a makeup for, you know, the lack of a, a big dividend payment in 2018 or 2019 or something in, in, in that time period. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your point, you know, again, you know, I mean, overall, I think a lot of a lot of the companies that we're talking about, you know, they would love to grow. The market's very strong right now, um, but there are some natural restrictions just being able to go out and do that if it's that if it's drivers, if it's equipment, or if it's just the fact that you know, in a in a very strong market, you realize that at some point down the road this may not last, and so you just don't want to throw twenty percent more trucks into your fleet because you might not have the demand for that a couple of years down the road. Let's talk about a couple of specific companies. You and I had a little back and forth email exchange about Martin, um, and you were pretty high on them. I, I didn't think they were very good. I didn't think they had a very good quarter because outside of the brokerage group, the numbers just didn't look all that great. Uh, why the, the brokerage performance is maybe not repeatable? And the truckload numbers were weak. So what's your argument in favor of Martin right now? <laughs> well, you know, John, it's a little bit of, you know, I, and we certainly understand what you're saying about, you know, and we, and we view the world, you know, largely through the same lens. And we're probably not coming at it from two different uh, views. Um, we certainly understand that the core trucking business does matter. And, you know, certainly in this environment, we would say that they were, were decent results. Um, but, you know, per, you know, maybe not quite as strong, particularly given the, the, the strong fundamental backdrop. But in saying that, you know, we do look at these businesses as, as portfolios and, and we're evaluating the total results of the company. And so one of the benefits of, of, you know, any of the models, but where you've got a business that might do stronger in a certain environments, like we saw with brokerage with Martin here in the current quarter, you know, it helps compensate for some of the challenges that we saw, you know, within their existing business, you know, on the driver side and some of the cost side. And so that's really the nature. It's, it's very unusual that we would see and that the businesses aren't really structured where we'd see kind of all the segments, you know, do extremely well all in the same period of time. And so, you know, we're kind of putting that into our, our thought process and saying, you know, hey, this is the way the model's supposed to work. In an environment where it's difficult to find drivers, maybe brokerage does a little bit better. In an environment where there's a lot of drivers and you can see a lot of trucks, then maybe brokerage is a little bit softer. So, you know, we're, we're putting all of that into our thinking. And then, you know, the last part is we think about, you know, Martin in particular is, you know, it, it's a company where, you know, they're more exposed on the temperature controlled side. You know, that's a more uh, consistent and, and a little bit less, um, more inelastic, you know, market that they serve. And, and so we also do expect them to be more of a steady performer over time. You know, we don't expect them to see the real big highs, you know, when the when the dry van spot market is very strong, but at the same time, we don't expect them to see, you know, a really big fall off. Um, and so when we think of kind of all of those things together, you know, to us, um, I agree with kind of your general concept that, hey, the quarter maybe wasn't quite as strong as what it could have been. But when we put it all together, you know, we'd say, hey, this was was a decent, decent result for this environment for the business. And you also lowered your estimates on Werner. You described their earnings as a, quote, uncharacteristic misstep. So what happened with Werner? 
<laughs> well, I, I, I really stand by that, that quote. And, you know, as we've seen the transition with the management team and, and, and Derek Leathers taking over as a CEO formally, you know, a couple of years ago and, and really kind of being in the, um, uh, the leadership seat now for several years, you know, that's a team that's been very, very focused on operations and um, focused on really the things that, that drive the business, you know, drivers, equipment, you know, improving um, their, their freight mix. And, and they've really made a lot of progress. Um, you know, it's a company you talked earlier about, you know, kind of the margin profile and, and Warner going back several years ago had been maybe more in that category where, you know, kind of a low 90s operating ratio and they've kind of stepped it up where they're comfortably in the high 80s and maybe making progression to the mid 80s. And so we've seen, you know, that change within the company. You know, this quarter really was, you know, um, uh, like we said, an, an uncharacteristic misstep based on what we've seen of the company over the last four or five years. And, you know, um, the 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 look back is very uh, explanatory. Uh, I think that they were really hit hard by the the Delta variant, in particular in COVID. And as we talked about, you know, they had an issue with um, seating equipment. They had an issue with utilization. Uh, but then they also had some very small things that really started to add up. You know, their ability to get parts for equipment on the supplies and maintenance side were impacted by the supply chain disruption. So again, they had equipment sitting longer than what they normally would have expected. And so there's costs associated with that. There's hits to utilization. Uh, so they really kind of, you know, um, where there were some companies that kind of got the, all the tailwinds and, and really were able to, to execute in this environment. Uh, this was a quarter for Werner where things just didn't come together as they expected um, or as we expected as well. And, um, you know, it's just a little bit out of sync with what we what we've come to expect from the company. Got time for one more, so I'll kind of throw it open here and ask you to tell me whether there were any companies you want to mention that had a particularly strong or weak performance that you want to tout or discourage people <laughs> to, to, to stay away from. Well, hey, you you know the nature of, of my business. We're we're gonna we're gonna stay with the positives and focus on the ones we want to tout. And you know, look, and we, we you know we've been really focused kind of on the truckload market. So we'll, we'll we'll stick with you know kind of that that group and for this comment. And maybe I'll give you two to think about. You know, one I would say. You know, Knight really, uh, and I don't want to compare and contrast with Werner, but it was, I mean, they had a, a very, very strong quarter. Um, you know, they are, you know, they typically do very well in, in strong freight markets and, and they can pivot the company to kind of take advantage uh, of the strong spot market. We certainly saw them do that. Uh, but what we think what's really interesting about Knight is they made an acquisition on the LTL side. Uh, in early July of this year, a company by the name of AAA Cooper. We think that they're in the very, very early innings. You know, we're, we're just, you know, a couple months into to having that underneath their, their umbrella. We've seen what they did historically with the Swift operations. And then lastly, you know, when we think about that free cash generation, you know, they are generating a lot of free cash, even with a potential step up in CapEx. So we think that they're in the position to do more things on, on the acquisition side. So Knight's certainly one that, that stood out to us. And, and then the other one I'd say that was a little bit more kind of in between, but we felt that the results were, were pretty good would be Schneider. Um, their truckload results, uh, margins there were a little bit better than what we were expecting, uh, but they really did a fantastic job with their intermodal segments and their logistics segments. Um, and so that's one where when we think again about the portfolio of businesses, we think there's a lot of value to the portfolio there. So those are two that we'd be circling on the positive side. All right, well, Todd Fowler, the next time we speak, we'll be <clears throat> baseball season will have started. We'll be getting out the golf clubs and the flowers will be blooming. Uh, and that, that's our regular schedule, and I look forward to it. Yeah, we'll be uh, talking about the Cleveland Guardians uh, for the right. first time. So, John, I really enjoyed it. Always great to catch up and look forward to talking to you soon. 
All right, Todd Fowler of KeyBank. He's the key transportation analyst there. And you have been listening to Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is part of the Freightcast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all of the leading podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. <laughs>